I can't vouch for the future, but the past was pretty good. wireless show. It is the 20th of September and I am your host, Philippa War. Joining me today are Brendan Caldwell. Hi. And Adam Smith. Hello. Nice. Um, this is actually my last stint on the uh, electronic wireless show before I abandon the good ship RPS and uh, do some sort of frantic doggy paddle i'm not very good at swimming <laughs> towards pc gamer where i am going to work as their deputy editor so i will be leaving you in the capable hands of brendan for further hosting duties or at least i assume <laughs> capable yes, hands yeah. traitor traitor <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry not sorry um, no I'm, I'm going to miss you a lot uh, the podcast is going to be a lot less um, amiable to begin with. Wait, that sounds me. like that's a slur on me. But... <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm it going to be, be stuck with. Going to be left with the doom and the gloom. <laughs> it might be a lot more on topic. <laughs> Depends on the topic, I suppose, and there'll be fewer insect anecdotes <laughs> and frogs. Stories of frogs. We'll have less of those. Mm. <laughs> just to be clear that this isn't the first me and Brendan are hearing about Pip leaving in case you're thinking why are they so calm about this <laughs> we didn't know <laughs> they've been through the stages of yeah grieving. we've gone through the stage of grieving I'm, I've reached the point of apathy now so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's on the official chart <laughs> don't tell them that we knew because then the re- the listeners will start saying why why didn't you tell us we'll be we're complicit now I like the fact that it's not really apathy. It's just, for God's sake, why aren't you just getting on with it? You said you're leaving. Why are you still here? No, it it is very, very sad. Uh, It genuinely is. And it's strange to be sincere in a podcast because the the, the places without sincerity so often. But uh, we're very sad to see Pip go. Um, Not just for podcast reasons, for millions of reasons. And we wish her all the best for the future. Obviously, and yeah, many happy insect tales on the PC Gamer news desk or features desk. (laughs) We can but hope. (laughs) My spreadsheet of insect ideas is ready and waiting. (laughs) Right, well, the last thing that I thought we should cover in my tenure, I guess, as as host, um, is something which tends to spark a lot of conversation, just even about the definition, and that's roguelikes and roguelike-likes slash roguelites. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
think I think we all have strong or middling to strong opinions. <laughs> well, I just said I was being sincere in a podcast. I'm probably going to be a little bit devil's advocate on this one. Because um, I've been playing roguelikes for almost my entire life and it's been a long long life <laughs> okay we, we before we get into this i think we should maybe try and say what is a rogue like well this is it i'm gonna go with the very traditional and it's right there in the words or word sorry um definition which is it's a game that's like the game rogue um and Rogue is an RPG that's made of ASCII uh, text. You'll have seen the ones like this. It's like a little at symbol is your character, and then monsters are different letters, um, sometimes in different colors, sometimes capitalized to tell you what they are. Um, and there's a whole load of different uh, key uh, bindings. So everything is on a keyboard. There's no actual interface beyond the keyboard. So you have to press I to go into your inventory. Then it's just a list of um, alphabetized stuff that you own and then you can press W to whir or wield things and it's very very complex and this is a symptom of the time it was made and it was you know there were no um, cursor interfaces it was made to run on uh, computers that didn't have the luxuries of you know mice and windows um, so traditionally a, a, a roguelike was an RPG built in a similar style so it tends to be very complicated uh, they tended to have very minimalist graphics. Um, okay, but but today, today, it means something. <laughs> Come along, Methuselah, with your long life. <laughs> <laughs> but today, it means like Everspace, which is a space fighting game. So, what what is the link? What is the connection? Um, oh. sorry, go on, Pip. I was just going to say, uh, nowadays, I think it's just become shorthand for. A sort of strategic game involving permadeath, right? Possibly. I, I think. I think there's slightly more to it. Or I think with procedural generation. I was going to say. I think there has to be an element of randomization because uh, mm. I think that's one of the things that 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 makes them um, very different. These kind of games. So a game like FTL, uh, it, it, you know, would be described as a roguelite by a lot of people. Roguelite, maybe that's L I T E. Um, uh, because it has the permadeath, uh, it has randomization, it has procedural elements, um, uh, but it is essentially a tactical game rather than RPG FTL. And then something like Spelunky, which is a platform game, but also has procedural levels and has um, permadeath. You know, you die, you start again, you don't have lives, you don't have progress in a real sense. Um, I think I think those are the things for me. I don't care about whether they have ASCII graphics. I don't care if they're top down. I don't care if they're turn-based, but permadeath and procedural elements. I think that for me, the turn-based or strategic kind of layer and yeah, sorry, I should have mentioned the um, procedural generation or the, you know, that, that element of things that changes your story or changes your playthrough each time. Um, but for me, that's a rogue-like, and then things that sort of strip away more of that and then end up more at just there's permadeath you know that they, they yeah. end up in the rogue like likes <laughs> I, I think for me it's that they're often the ones that aren't rpgs because you know roguelikes were mm. that's they, they, they were a subgenre of role-playing game so when it's a platform game or it's a shooter because there are shooter roguelikes as well 
And I think that once you move away from being an RPG, then it's a roguelike-like because it's it's a different genre that's borrowing elements of that subgenre. So it's like a roguelike shooter or a roguelike strategy game or whatever. I also should stress that I don't actually care that much. <laughs> when I said I was going to play Devil's Advocate, like I do think it's important to know what a definition means. Uh, but I think that trying to say that a roguelike still needs to have, you know, the whole raft of features. There's a lot of fan sites like um, uh, uh, Rogue Temple, uh, Temple of Roguelikes, I think it's called now, uh, which is an old roguelike fan site. And you get big arguments on there about, you know, but this shouldn't be on this site or on this forum. The dev blog shouldn't be here because it's not a proper roguelike. And I just, you know, I mean, I prefer inclusivity within genres rather than uh, holding things out because I just yeah, think, well, the, then where do they sit, you know? The roguelike loyalists, the Puritans won't let a lot of things in, will they? It's weird because if you look at it from the randomized ASCII definition, then like Dwarf Fortress is probably a roguelike. <laughs> Dwarf Fortress, I think, would be accepted as a roguelike. I mean, I think that is... Um, but it's not. It's a management game. No, 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 because it's got the adventure mode as well. It does have a well, role Well, that mode. can be its own roguelike. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think mean, that's the thing. It's like Dwarf Fortress has built into it a roguelike mode um, that then, then turns that into also a management game. Um, but, it, I, but I think Dwarf Fortress is interesting because I think that's another aspect that people hang on to is the complexity of roguelikes. Um, and that becomes stubborn when people get annoyed about um you know user interfaces that aren't archaic um you know you don't need those user interfaces and i used to argue that you did i used to think well if i can play a game like nethack which has i don't know 26 different key inputs then maybe that makes it a better game than if you get rid of them if you if you try and boil that down into a icon based point and click user interface you lose some complexity I don't actually think you do anymore, which is a um, yeah. I don't I don't know what the value of them is. Beyond I think it also tradition. risks losing context as well because if if you are insisting that something is a hallmark of a genre when it turns out that maybe it was just a a limitation of technology at the time and that if the thing was being made nowadays the spirit would be kept intact but they wouldn't have gone with a, a, an ASCII interface for example like you know I think that there's an element of um, it, I guess just adhering to a thing that wasn't necessarily integral to the game yeah if you see what I mean yeah I mean they're just uh so the ASCII would, would be the display rather than the input. And I think that that's important because a lot of people who are roguelike traditionalists don't particularly mind if you put in graphical tile sets. Uh, they're more attached to interface stuff. And I think that is, again, it goes to complexity. And I get that because I think that people think, well, if uh, we lose the complexity um, that used to be there, then we end up with, uh, you know, one of the, things that people love that genre for is because it wasn't Eye of the Beholder or Dungeon Master, which are these first-person dungeon crawlers. It was something that was much more in-depth and much more about um, managing a character and being able to interact in like loads of different ways with the environment. Uh, but what I was getting at with that, I guess, was that like you were mentioning these key bindings and things, and I'm, I 
was thinking that those are because you know you would press w because that was the key that was assigned to that particular thing because there wasn't a way to differentiate otherwise because yeah you, there was no context and so that complexity was also a necessity rather than no they totally yeah 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 and i, I think that there's there's an anxiety about losing the complexity, but again, I don't think you need to. I think that a modern interface can still give you all the data. I mean, just have it so that you can go into an inventory and right click and get a drop down menu instead of having to remember a key binding. It's you don't lose anything by doing that. This goes back to my big argument with Dwarf Fortress. I think it's one of the best games ever made, but I very few people I'd recommend actually play it because it's no. so difficult to play. I don't know if it no. needs to be. I don't think it does, but then I'm not a game designer, so it doesn't need to be. But at this point, <laughs> I can change. But that's why <laughs> that's why things like RimWorld, I think, take off. Yeah, because yeah. someone takes the great game and then actually says, "Oh, you know what? I can make this playable." Mm. The thing is, though, I don't think any of us are criticizing, or at least I'm not. I'll just speak for myself, because obviously you two are here and can defend yourself. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think any of any of me are saying <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying is is how one phrases that. <laughs> I'm not saying that the complexity is necessarily bad or that um, if that's what floats your banana then you know you get to like that you shouldn't have that or if a game designer chooses that way as the way that they want you to interact with these things. I'm not saying that any of that is a, a worse choice. I think it's more that the, the, the getting hung up on what is and what isn't allowed to be called yeah. a roguelike or a roguelite or whatever in the face of overwhelming understanding of that as a as a thing if you see what i mean like, yeah i think i think that sometimes it, it's it's not the same as with point and click adventures but there was a point when you know point and click adventures were dead and you know people would say that they're, it's a dead genre and i think that some people who have liked roguelikes for decades now um get slightly snippy because they think that what the uh like expansion of the term means is it suggests to people that no one's making traditional roguelikes anymore but they are it's not that they've been replaced they still exist um so i think that that's part of the problem it's not that they've all evolved and become things like dungeons of dreadmore which is one of the first i remember that was you know much more streamlined and uh pretty you know um and sproggy wood was a recent one which uh similarly kind of takes a lot of the traditional stuff and just makes it more attractive and more manageable uh, but people are still making the really, really in-depth traditional roguelikes. Uh, and I, I guess that, um, and again, I'm speaking for people here, I'm not one of these people, uh, but they think they get ignored because because people say roguelike and what is the term now for those old roguelikes? I mean, I just call them traditional roguelikes. But... I think that's the thing is as, as the category gets more complicated or as a, as the core ideas get attached to a genre but there's a lot of variation in the actual expression that's when you get subgenres, right and that's actually probably more helpful mm, mm. so you have traditional roguelikes and you have you know like i don't know the the thing that i've been playing this week is a sort of an fps action adventure 
rogue-like-like. This is rogue islands, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so... Uh, I think that, yeah. This is what floats my banana, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking of one of those, like, inflatable bananas that you can ride along on on the is sea. Is floating a banana good or bad? It's a banana boat, isn't it? <laughs> I don't... I mean... Anyway, this floats my banana whenever the... the they take a roguelike and they make it a, a actual playable thing, like Delver or like Rogue Islands. Yeah, I mean, I think Spelunky was the first time I remember that, which you know again is is so far from what Rogue was. But um, I can show that to somebody and say, hey, this is you know borrowing a lot of stuff from um, roguelikes. I I mean, I because I like people to go back and play the old roguelikes and the modern ones, you know, the, the, the traditional ones, as I said before, uh, I do think sometimes of the roguelikes and the roguelike likes and stuff as uh, gateways to those games, which I think they can be. And I think that's yeah. another reason to not reject them, you know, if you are a traditionalist, because they teach people about this stuff. Um, it's it's Because I think people think roguelikes are going to be really, really difficult, both to learn and to play because of the permadeath. Uh, that's really not true. I mean, they're, they're not that punishing, a lot of them. A lot of them are quite sedate, and um, there's 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 different genres of in roguelikes. I mean, Cogmind, which is a recent one, which is excellent, which is a, a mech-based one, uh, and that's actually quite... Um, uh, it's You know, it's not, like, hardcore difficulty, you know? Uh, not every roguelike is trying to be Dark Souls-like. Oh, well, that's God. another thing, Souls-likes. Souls-like roguelikes. Are people going to be having... <laughs> Uh, conversations about souls like oh yeah I mean it already <laughs> happens when people start talking about dead cells being a souls like loads of oh, it's a souls like and a rogue like yeah exactly it's very very difficult and then you know we get Metroidvania rogue souls likes and the whole thing collapses and yeah. I think um Mark Brown uh, who does Game Maker's Toolkit has a really good video on this on like genre I think we should link that because it basically discusses souls like and souls likes and is there is there a need to invent this genre at all or mm. is it just something that's contributing to other genres um or is it an seo sort of thing like a marketing tool i mean yeah could definitely also be that well i, I just is mean that, in terms it... of people like for example if you work in um in editorial it's it can just sometimes be easy to say you know this game that is ubiquitous and that you we guarantee you will have heard of yeah, and possibly have enjoyed yeah. <laughs> that is a shorthand for telling you about this other thing even if the language does not require it we are definitely not guilty of that <laughs> also in marketing and publishing terms as well i mean you know there was yeah. around the time dark souls came to pc there were so many rpgs that wanted to be the next dark souls and that's pushed by marketing, you know, that they they want to take some of that. The Surge recently, you know, which was sci-fi Dark Souls. And I remember talking to one of the developers of that. And um, and I said, does it annoy you when people say, you know, your game is basically sci-fi Dark Souls? And he was like, no, it's great because I love Dark Souls. So why, why would I not like that? Um, yeah. And I mean, maybe that's what annoys people whenever um, the, the roguelike Puritans, whenever they see roguelike thrown about in kind of marketing terms yeah i think so you know in a sense like they're they're seeing this and realizing that this is being said by someone who doesn't even know rogue has never played it doesn't yeah i think it has become so detached from its own meaning and from 
you know, where it actually came from that that it does bug people when they they think it is become marketing or SEO based, and and it it has done now. I mean, roguelikes become a buzzword. Um, it's something that people like to attach to a game. It's almost like added value, you know. Um, it means that there's going to be I don't know what do, I don't know exactly know what it means because um, I think there's a sense of replayability around it as well. Um, you know, if you see a shooter and it's a roguelike shooter, then it's probably not going to have you know, 10 episodes and then be over or 10 levels or whatever. Um, it's probably going to be something you can just replay again and again and again and again forever. In a weird way, maybe this stuff could have been not exactly avoided, but you know how FPSs generally got or were starting to be referred to as Doom clones or yeah. Doom likes? And then I, I can't remember the exact thing, but like, wasn't it that that was very much not helpful for other people who didn't want to sound like they were copying Doom or to sort of promote that developer's well, there's the, stuff alongside their own or whatever. One of the big differences here is that roguelikes have always been free of, or, you know, again, traditionally, they've never been commercial games. They were games that people made as hobbyists. So mm. so you weren't competing. You were, And also they were always, um, they were niche, you know, like there was things that uh, people like me who you know, messed about with, you know, the obscure cars the internet knew about, you know, back in the mid nineties, but nobody else knew about them. You'd never see them in a shop, you know, and they didn't have, there was literally no marketing attached because they were just groups of people coding them in their bedrooms. So but- there is definitely an element of, I knew this band before they were big and now everybody knows them. So I don't like everybody well, no, I knowing think, about them. I think in a way it was almost the opposite because I think the term became popularized because people like me who loved roguelikes, when they saw games like Spelunky, they said, oh, this is kind of like these roguelikes that I love, you know, because it, you, you were excited that you'd seen something that was becoming more mainstream, that, that borrowed elements from something you loved. And then I guess a lot of people did then regret it and think, oh no, why did I, you know, why did I let them in? <laughs> jump on this bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. But uh... I, think, I think the thing that I was, um, the, the point I was ambling towards in a, in a relaxed fashion was um, more that there wasn't that need to sort of have a, a far more game agnostic descriptor for something of that genre. And so it has ended up attached to a specific game. And I think that that then gives you a, a kind of ground zero from which people can build out and be pedantic or be sort of, you know, like it, it meant, as games always do, meant different things to different people and people are like happier to to pick and choose in some ways or not happier or, you know, like mm. it it feels a bit like weirdly maybe without the marketing machines attachment or need to differentiate or to to expunge references to competitors like there's it it skewed the conversation as well yeah the way that yeah that gives you this prime reference point that other genres don't necessarily have well should we talk about rogue islands we should talk about some of the ones that we've enjoyed that um Um, nice roguelikes. Uh, yeah, rogue for likes. examples of, you know, the, the, the variety. Roguelikes we like. Yeah, rogue loves. <laughs> Rogueliked. Actually, uh, we, we should link to this as well. I think it's probably four or five years ago now. In, at Christmas, around Christmas time when we did our end of year calendar, 
I wrote a thing called My Year in Roguelikes where I talked about all the updates to all the roguelikes I was playing because some of these have been developed for like 25 years. You know, they, they've been around for so long. And I was talking about which ones I've been playing, which ones are good. And I thought, I'll do this every year. And then by the time the next year rolled around, everything on Steam was a roguelike. And I was like, there's no point. There's no point anymore. Like it's just this is just our best of calendar. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like the, if I just carry on doing this, it's like you know, it just looks like I'm being that person who's like, no, these are the real ones, and that was never the intent of it. But so I just scrapped it. I think one of the biggest ones I played in recent time was um, Delver, and it's just a 3D first-person dungeon crawler. All the graphics are very old school. Um, like you're fighting sprites, basically as you go down into these randomized dungeons and you could almost like you, you, you if i told you it was a 3d dungeon crawler with magic spells and potions you could almost like just dream the game yourself you would know exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about um but it, it does everything so it does everything to such an expectation that there's no there's no fat on it anywhere mm. Um, it's a it's a wonderful thing. Streets of Rogue is also good. Have you? Ah, oh, Streets of Rogue's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that see, that's to me a very traditional roguelike because it's it's just got so much. I I always think that the the weird chain reaction stuff that can happen and the you know the way you can experiment with items is is one of the hallmarks of what really separates the really great roguelikes from the the good ones to me. And Streets of Rogue yeah. has that. You know, like you do stuff and then you just see all these consequences, like you throw a petrol bomb into a room and the fire starts spreading and the guards start running outside and then don't know what's going on. So they'll panic and shoot the wrong person. And, you know, one action just causes like this, like all these ripples to go outwards. Yeah, I think the developer of Streets of Rogue described it as the city portions of Deus Ex meets Rogue. Right, right. Yeah, that's um, very, yeah. Which is, which is a fun idea to go at. That's still um, early access, isn't it? I think it's very. It early. is still early access, but it's basically finished. I it, mean, it like. feels really playable. Like, I mean, there's it, the only thing I'd want from it is more of a sense of progression because I've not played a huge amount of it. But as I move up through the floors or the levels of the city, it, it doesn't seem to change that much. But then yeah, I'm, I think that's the only thing that um, the developer Matt Dabrowski, I think, is that the developer is. Um, adding is just more levels yeah um more areas and i think everything else is kind of set in stone all the different characters that you can get you can be a gorilla in streets mm. streets of rogue and your special ability is to free and have other gorillas join your team and every character has different uh things that they dislike so the gorillas hate scientists because they experiment on them this this goes back right to the the kind of daft roots of roguelikes. Um, one of the big, big old roguelikes is NetHack, um, which is, in a way, the most traditional of dungeon crawlers. You know, you pick a barbarian, elf, or stuff like that, but then it has all this weird stuff in it, which gets added to because there's loads of variants. But you can have uh, your character class can be a tourist, and then you basically are going down into dungeons, but you have nothing <laughs> with you because you're just a tourist. But then, like, there's variants that will give you the uh, luggage from Discworld if you're a tourist and it just eats everything in front of you um, and they were always very silly like that you know they'd um, I think it was NetHack it was in the NetHack or Slash and one of the early ones which early ones which is still going uh, which um, 
they used to say in the uh, readme files for updates that it was the dungeon core of everything but the kitchen sink and then eventually they put a kitchen sink in it and you can drink from it and it'll give you different powers <laughs> Did you, shall we talk about uh, Rogue Islands? Have either of you two played it? I haven't. This is what you've been playing this week. It is, and it was a surprise to me because I do not uh, historically get on with roguelikes or roguelites or roguelike-likes. So so I was as surprised as anybody. (laughs) Rogue Um, What what is it about? Because I looked at it and I thought, this looks like Minecraft. So you have these Minecrafty blocky worlds, which I think is going to be the thing that everyone thinks when they see a screenshot of it. There's no getting around that. And I don't think, mm-hmm. again, like talking about the ways of spreading awareness of your game, maybe you wouldn't want to anyway, because that's an easy reference point for people. Um, but within that, you have you are playing as a mage gnome called Motwort, I think. And that's as far as I ever got through the lore of the game. Motwort. Um, Motwort. And so what you are doing is you're essentially playing an FPS um, on these procedural generated islands, these blocky islands, um, themed around different, you know, biomes. So the first ones you get are like more sort of forgiving but only you know to a point but they're you know these continuous land masses that have you know like rolling hills and trees and things like that um whereas later on you'll encounter things that are more like um mangrove swampy kind of things with all of these trees with roots that are precarious to stand on so you can't avoid enemies in the same way um and essentially you have an objective for each island it's usually to get to something or to kill something or to find something um and then it essentially it's just about collecting some resources to keep you going while you do that and to um power up your spells and to augment them to make them stronger and uh kill all of the things that want to kill you uh before they can get a chance some of them are environmental hazards like um lava blocks that might fall on your head if you walk under them without being aware that they're there and I have been killed by those by surprise uh, (laughs) you know a few times Um, there are also in those early levels you've got things like skeletons and you've got these floating skulls that will throw some bombs at you um, and at night time because there's a day night cycle uh, at night time things get a lot more precarious so you've got ghasts that come and try and suck your your life force away um and in terms of the rogue elements or the definitions or you know whatever else um so there's this procedural generation um which means that obviously every time you start there's you know you won't ever be on the same island you know um or the same progression of islands um and there's also like there's also permadeath um but something that was interesting to me was that uh 
there are three difficulties that you can play on and the final one is proper permadeath you know there's no respawn mechanic in there and you don't get to keep progress you just have to um, start the whole thing all over again and, and because there are quite a few islands that you need to get through things you need to collect before you get to the final boss that would be quite a big ask you would lose a lot um, and a lot of time on those playthroughs so I haven't yeah. I haven't touched on that yet but the others the other two modes have permadeath as a risk but you can try and guard against it by crafting extra respawns for yourself called nightmares and you just use a, a resource that you find underwater so that in and of itself is a risky endeavor because the waters are infested with these gnome nibbling piranha bonefish things um, and you can't kill them they are just always there and always a risk so you have to keep swimming and moving around to avoid getting munched on um, so if you are then underwater looking for these things you're also risking your oxygen running out if you stay under too long you're also risking being nibbled um, so there is a kind of that it's not it's not, it's not too easy free. yeah that, 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 that's a good um that feels like a really good way to do it um, since the solution most roguelikes come up with to not having permadeath be such a crippling thing is to just have some things that kind of cross over into your next life like things that you can bank like you yeah. can bank skills or you can bank money and then spend that or, or you, you can, can unlock something. a thing that is then available to you yeah I mean permadeath is never really perma okay. yeah, yeah. Cave Blazers, which I liked a lot recently, um, which is, uh, I'm going to call this one a Spelunky like. Um, so, um, <laughs> no, Adam, stop. Yes, no, I've gone <laughs> there. Spelunky. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but Cave Blazers is, has a really good, cool approach to that, I think, in that you don't just unlock stuff for your next playthroughs that is helpful, you also unlock new kinds of monster and new kinds of trap and stuff. So, so the game just becomes more and more complex as you go through it which I really like. Like the first few times you play it, there's, you know, you'll meet a couple of types of monster and uh, and you'll have different, you know, like um, equipment that you can find in chests. And then as you play again, you'll find new types of equipment that you've unlocked will start appearing. So you just diversify the amount of stuff that you can find and some of it's good and some of it's bad. And I really like that approach. Uh, it's just like mm. the game just keeps growing and yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that is cool. I think... I think what struck me about this particular game and why it ended up being the one that I spent time with in a genre that I don't generally um, is because of the way that the, um, the whole thing feels geared towards letting you learn a lot more in one run through than you would normally like in I remember when I when I first played Spelunky it was very much a case of 10 seconds and then death and then 10 seconds yeah. and then death or you know um and, and I'd learn little things or I'd learn okay well that didn't work or whatever but once you get to a certain point with it it's like okay well I'm losing a lot compared to what I'm learning if I'm learning anything hmm. um when every time I try this thing whereas the way that I was playing 
this one certainly when I first booted it up I was like right we'll go with explorer mode where it's a lot easier to craft those nightmares you can hold two of them instead of just one um, you take a bit less damage from enemies you know and it, it let me try things out in a way that wasn't just a well you can try this out once and if it fails back to the drawing board back to back to the starting point you know whereas this was like okay that didn't work I'm gonna try this thing or I wonder what happens if I upgrade this and I didn't have to lose every bit of progress that I'd made in the interim and then rebuild to just get to try one more thing yeah and that felt like a far friendlier use of my time and I then got used to it and then once I defeated the game on that mode or defeated the end boss rather on that mode then I moved up to the next one and actually it didn't feel overwhelming it was like okay no this is a challenge and I'm ready for this challenge and that's cool and I think that that's a feeling that maybe other people get with Spelunky or with you know other things but well, because they're playing it or experiencing it in a different way or it's tickling a different part yeah, of their Yeah, I think for me it's brain. really different. Like, I, I've never played pretty much anything I'd think of as a roguelike to try and get to the end of it. I just want to die in a really funny way. That's um, that's that's why I play them. <laughs> like, um, and so the more, like, moving parts there are and the more, like, um, again, kind of chaotic elements like we were describing in Streets of Rogue, uh, which Spelunky does as well, that thing where, you know, uh, you've, fire something and it misses and then it bounces and it hits something else and then a bomb blows up and you know it's just again chain reactions and chaos uh, i enjoy those moments more than i enjoy beating the final boss i don't care about getting to the end of it uh with like the old roguelikes i know people who played them for not people i know in reality people i know through forums and stuff who have played them for 10 or 15 years before they got to the end and i've never finished any of them any of the mm. traditional ones that's something that i think uh is a good question is i mean my thing with roguelikes is whenever I play them, I never really play them to the end. I never play them for too long. I kind of feel like I've I've seen what they have to offer, even if I've not reached the end. Yeah. Do you know, like, I mean, like, I've never beaten Dead Cells, um, but I feel like I've gotten to, the, or I've never beaten what they have of it currently. It's in early access. But I feel like I've gotten as far as I can without, you know... So I guess what I'm asking is, is Rogue Islands, it is Rogue Islands, right? Is Rogue Islands, I mean, do you see yourself coming back to it a lot or does it does it run out of steam very early? I came back to it a lot over the weekend um, because I wanted to see what was at the end of it and it felt doable, do you know what I mean? But by the time I'd got to the end, um, I think I mentioned this in the, what I think, that I was... A bit overpowered as in I was just blasting things down I'd still get caught out by stuff like I could still very much set myself on fire by accident but but there wasn't that uh, chaotic um, stress almost like that bullet hell stress that you sometimes get with the way that these games start to um, have loads of different things coming at you or you need to balance all of these different things happening do you know what I mean yeah. Um, and so this was very much I just blasted the thing with my fire laser at the end and I was like okay well that's that but the reason that I went back was because I wanted to spend time in ultimately quite pretty 
environments and also you know just sort of seeing how far I could get with the next thing or you know all of that stuff um I think that the idea of getting to the end is maybe something that um because it doesn't feel important to me in the same way having seen what it had to offer and that it wasn't particularly that wasn't the part that was fulfilling I guess um but I will say that being friends with people like Tom Francis who plays Spelunky and can get to hell or can get to the I was like okay so I I guess that is a thing that people can do it's (laughs) there is a a a level of skill or persistence or both that will you know that there is a a pleasure in managing to get there with the the tools at your disposal in that yes Spelunky is not like Mario Kart I think some people Mm. think it is it's like it's it, it it there is a skill to Spelunky um but sometimes you are just going to be absolutely backed into a corner and there's not a lot you can do about it. You do need an element of luck. But that's one of the reasons why with um, uh, the, a lot of these games that even though permadeath can feel punishing and some people obviously feel that it is, I'm not saying they're wrong to, but uh, but you get back into it very quickly. The, the problem is, and I'll use Binding of Isaac as an example of this, and this is a game that I love, uh, but I have this issue with Binding of Isaac where when I die, a lot of time, if I've had a good long run, I just feel like I cannot bother starting again because the character starts off so underpowered and so slow and mm. you just think, ah, to get back to anything that feels even like ambulatory now is just going to take so long. and it's That that feels punishing to me. Uh, I know that that's what I'll have with this if I, if I lose the progress that I've made on this intermediate run. I, I know that it'll take a while for me to want to come back to it. But then how long is a run? Like, I mean, how long are you talking about for... Well, that's the thing. It's because it's hours rather than Oh, really? Minutes. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As in, I I think I have about 15 or 16 hours in the game now. Um, and so you can... I, I usually spend about half an hour on each island, right? And that's because um, in addition to fulfilling the objective there's also a lot of just wandering around and finding like there are rocks that you can mine out with your little with your little um mana blaster thing and so one of the things that i quite like doing i find that quite relaxing anyway um but you you build up your gems or gem shards using that um mining them out of the walls of caves and things and you also mine out these um these more speckled blocks that then allow you to uh, contain more mana of that particular colour, and so it means that you can power up your weapons for longer. Um, so we, you've, have you been alive then for 16 hours? So um, the first playthrough, I think I the total time in-game or total time spent actually playing the islands was about seven and a half hours. Oh my god! But obviously, that's if I died after of... seven and a half hours in a roguelike, <laughs> yeah, I would that... never ever go back to it. See, this forget thing, that. A lot of it was just me wandering around these worlds, kind of like I took a lot of screenshots as well because I found them really pretty. 
Um, and so I, I genuinely don't have a sense of how long it would take anyone else to play it because it felt like I might be playing it very differently from people yeah. who, for example, enjoy roguelikes in the way that maybe you two do or people who just don't fancy doing a bit of sightseeing or I think I also needed that space. You know, I needed to not feel like I was constantly just at risk of death. Mm. Like I quite, I liked clearing out a space of skeletons and then actually getting to enjoy the the cave formations and then hanging up your pictures <laughs> you know me <laughs> love a potter <laughs> but yeah so that's what yeah that's what i was doing um <laughs> i yeah i just really liked it but i would really be interested to know if you two ever do end up playing i, do, I really know, want to yeah i very tempted I'd be interested, now i'd be interested to know if it really really wasn't your cup of tea as well you know the biggest thing that puts me off it from what you've said is the length of time it takes you know and, and again you say that might not be uh, true for everyone but but yeah i mean i i get a little frustrated if i feel like i'm going to lose more than half an hour of progress with permadeath you know like that would be annoying to me and i like permadeath but that's because mm. most games that use it i feel like a run is pretty short you know so because even with Isaac, like I was saying, you know, like it's annoying to have a good run and then go back to being, that can be 15, 20 minutes. And mm. uh, if I have a bunch of five, 10 minute runs and then I have a 20 minute one, that's probably going to be the end of my session because I'm just like, okay, that's it now. I'm done. You know, that's, it's too frustrating to go back to being now. But, but yeah, I, I, I can't think of many roguelikes where I, you know, save the game and walk away. They're all single session things really for me. Um, That's not entirely true. Um, But, but certainly the kind of more dungeon crawly ones. And I get that Rogue Islands isn't dungeons, but island crawling, cave crawling, yeah. whatever, yeah. Is XCOM on Iron Man mode a roguelike? Get out, get out. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, if you're talking about Firaxis is XCOM, that's actually an XCOM-like, so... Oh, oh no. Okay, <laughs> forget I asked. No, no, um, I, I, I would say definitely not, no. Um just because all right, that's not sorted. I think you know no, what you though. I do have an actual, I have an actual answer. I have an actual answer. It's because there's two layers. You can't have two layers in a roguelike. You can't have the strategic layer and a tactical layer. That's not allowed. Roguelikes have to take place all in one layer. I've decided that. That's true. There are layer limitations to roguelikes. There are, yeah, okay. Yeah. Add that to the uh, genre document. Yeah. Oh God, where does that lead? Dwarf Fortress. Now I've got a headache. Oh, oh no. We need a spider diagram. Oh, I've got one, Pip. You should see the walls in here. There's a cork board. It's covered in thread. And <laughs> I think just a family tree would be useful. <laughs> I just like the idea of like Adam as this really flustered detective trying to pin down genre. No, he's like a mad conspiracy theorist. Yeah, that's the one. Connecting everything with red, red twine. Yeah. He's made a web. It all goes back to Rogue, but... But I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Thing is, though, can you imagine if you were just somebody who was trying to use roguelike as just to to express that you were a really big fan of Assassin's Creed Rogue? And you're just like, no, just, that's my name for oh. this fandom. <laughs> I want more games like this, and everyone else is just going, oh my god, stop complicating things. Well, I'm going to simplify things. I've been playing a game that is not a roguelike in any way whatsoever. Uh, which is Divinity Original Sin 2, um, which is 
an RPG that has very few roguelike things about it. Um, I think it's probably in it's probably going to end up in my top ten games of all time, which is a very uh, big oh, thing wow. to say. Uh, it's a large, it's a and yeah. wide shite. Um, oh, does this mean we need to rejig the best games list already? Well, no, because I have very strict rules about letting things percolate for a while, so it cannot make it onto that because that's happening too soon. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's. I, I just think it's. I, I love the first one, um, and. For all kinds of reasons, it's it's got great turn-based combat. It's got a very very complicated actual role-playing system in terms of uh, conversations and traits and skills and all all that stuff that makes your characters feel like they're individuals uh, in the sense in the way they interact with the world. Uh, and it had some flaws. Uh, the first one, uh, specifically a third act that fell apart a little bit. Um, a story that was tonally. Um, confused i would say um in terms of trying to balance its weirdness with um a big epic rpg plotline and the second one pretty much fixes all of that the combat's improved and i like the combat anyway uh the co-op stuff you can play it single player but you can also play with three other people four player co-op uh has been completely changed so now you can compete against one another rather than just cooperating you could be in the same party but have ulterior motives that are hidden from each other you can kill NPCs that your um, party members are trying to make friends with just because you think it'd be fun to. So it's got this whole level of silliness to it um, in the way that you play, which is very similar to uh, like tabletop role-playing social interactions at times. Um, and the writing is is great. It's it's very witty. It's uh, It embraces the silliness of the world in a way that I think works much better than the first one. And yeah, I finished it finally last night. It's huge um, and very replayable because there's whole chunks of it where I've spoken to other people who are playing it and they, it's a great moment. And I mentioned this in the um, conversation I had with John about it, which is on the site. Um, you can approach an area and uh, so I described it as being a bit like the bit in Austin Powers where the henchman, um, I think he like phones his family or something because, you know, Austin Powers has come into the base and he's killing everyone. And he's just like, oh God, I need to tell my wife, you know, that such and such is dead, something like that. But Divinity has that where you can go into a dungeon, kill everyone in the dungeon, then talk to someone else. And they're like, oh, I went in there and spoke to the guards and they're actually really friendly. And like one of them joined my party. And you're just like, oh, oh no, why? Because you just think, well, that's what I do. I go into dungeons and I kill everyone, right? And like a lot of the monsters you can actually just talk to and, you know, have a completely different... Um, route through the game because of that and yeah all right but we're we're because i i need to ask about that okay because can you play this game basically without fighting this yeah. is something that that uh what was that other one tides of numenera would boast that you can get through it without eat without with having like two three fights right but i often find that that was not the case because of your skill set wouldn't allow you to do that yeah so divinity you I don't think they've ever boasted that you can get through without having more than a couple of fights. I don't think that's a selling point of it. You you definitely can't play the game without getting into fights. There are scripted fights that I think will always happen. Um, but you can certainly avoid... You can you can play it in a non-combat heavy way. Again, it is going to be skill dependent. Uh, but you... I mean, the thing is, because you can recruit lots of characters, there's a point when you get to the second act of the game where you can basically recruit any kind of NPC. So if you want somebody with 
lockpicking skills and you don't have one, you can just go and get like a generic rogue character and bring them into your party. It's just a way of giving you the skills that you might want to borrow. And you can also respec your characters quite um, uh, quite cheaply uh, from the second act onwards. So if you decide, oh, I really want to tackle this quest, but I need to be able to pick a pocket if I don't want to get into a big fight, then there are ways around that. Um, it allows you to be quite flexible, but no, it's definitely not a game you can play without doing any combat. And one thing that I think is going to alienate some people from it is it's, it is very difficult, the combat. You can play it in an easy mode, which is called something like storytelling mode. It's probably adventure mode, actually. Uh, and it's like, if you just want to enjoy the story, play in this mode, but the combat is still very difficult. Uh, it's very, very tactical. Um it's easier in that mode. And I noticed that someone's already made a mod to make it even easier. So I suspect we'll get more of that, which is good. Um, but yeah, it's 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 not a game you can be completely pacifist in. Um, just is by... the fantasy setting going to put people off? I tend to kind of roll my eyes whenever I see elves. I think it probably but... is going to put people off if they don't dig beneath the surface of it. I think that's one of the problems it has uh, because... Uh, like I, I'm the same now. Elves in Divinity, are weird, spindly, humanoid things. Uh, you know, like there's that thing where it's elves are usually tall and graceful and have agility and charisma, but you know, and all that rubbish. Um, in Divinity, they're kind of spindly, <laughs> frightening things. They look a bit like they might crawl up a wall. Um, and are they spiders? They they look a little bit. They're like spidery type of, but they are definitely humanoid. You know, they've only got four limbs. Uh, but they're just a little bit too spindly you know of. and angular, and their um, their their special ability, their like racial ability, is that they if they eat a dead person's limbs, then they can get that dead person's memories and skills. So uh, so elves in yeah. divinity just go around eating corpses. That's what they do. They're spindly corpse eaters, and uh, and if you have one in your party, there's this great thing where again. If you don't know a certain skill, you just kill someone who has that skill and then eat them, and you get the skill. So I, I remember you telling me about this before, um, and there was another thing as well. Um, this is the undead, I think. The undead, yeah. What's the deal with the undead? So the, Something about faces. Yeah, if you play as an undead character, you're not a zombie, you're a skeleton. So you literally have a big skull face wrapped in clothes. And if you walk around just with your skull exposed, people run away from you and they scream, uh, or they try and kill you. And they say things like, you know, oh my god, the dead are rising, <laughs> and they flee in terror. So you can just wear a hood that you pull around your face, so you look like a mage. You know, that like you always get mages and rogues that just have a shadowy visage. You can do that, um, but you get an, an item early on in the game called a face ripper. It's literally called a face ripper. That's what it is. That's and, it, uh, yeah. and yeah, you can rip a dead person's face off and wear it over your skull to disguise yourself. <laughs> Uh, but it doesn't work because they just look at you and they're like, oh my god, it's a skeleton with a face stuck to its skull. <laughs> so, so they're even more freaked out by it. So uh, so what you have to do is you have to cast a spell on it, which then polymorphs you into the person whose face you're wearing. So you can just become anything in the game. So then you get all the traits of that person, all the skills of that person are treated as if you are that person. So you can use it in ways like there's a lot of racial tensions in the world. Uh, so like dwarves are considered to be a, a, a subclass. They're just used as workers um, and they're not allowed into a lot of areas of the cities because they're just they're racially uh, prejudiced. There's prejudice against them. Um, so if you have a dwarf character, because that's the other thing about the undead, sorry, 
they are also actual races in the game. So you can be a dwarf skeleton or a human skeleton or an elf skeleton or a lizard skeleton. Um, and so if you're a dwarf undead and you're wearing your hood, you're still treated as if you're a dwarf. So you can't go in certain areas. But then if you kill a human and steal their face, then you know suddenly you're allowed to go into the human areas because you're a human and that's what they think you are. So yeah, it's got lots of weird stuff like that. And it treats it all, it knows exactly how silly all of this is. Um, and it's it's full of um, they're not really jokes it's just a ridiculous world um, you know it, it's much closer to Discworld than it is to Dungeons and Dragons which mm. is nice I think uh, should, we, should we take some reader things I'm not going to talk about what I've been playing um because I don't think I've played enough of it. <laughs> you can keep that as a teaser for next yeah. week. All right, so look forward <laughs> to talk about Heat Signature oh. some other time. It's probably just as well that I'm not here as well, otherwise it would be disclaimers all over the place. Yeah, you've already mentioned being friends <laughs> with Tom Francis in this episode. So. <laughs> yeah, um, but but we asked about roguelikes. We asked people what their favourite roguelikes were. Did people have opinions? And we have got quite a lot of responses. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to start picking into them? I bet I've not played any of them. Um, no, <laughs> you will have. You will have. Um, there's people saying a lot of games that I wouldn't even consider roguelikes. Um, someone said Rain World, I think. Which now who's a Puritan? I yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like I could see why you die a Purist. lot, but I don't know. Why wouldn't you say that it was? I'm interested. It's not ASCII art. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, blah, blah, blah. Um, shit, you know what? I don't know. It's a roguelike. <laughs> Maybe I'm just being too... Yeah, you're right. Rigged for epic. You are correct. It is a roguelike. Um, we've got a lot of people saying Risk of Rain, which I think is a very, very good shout. Mm. Um, yeah. That was the... I have played a little of that. That was the uh, 2D it. kind of side not side scrolling but like level by level schmop kind of thing yeah you could play as a team yeah it was multiplayer yeah, you could play. there's a sequel coming as well risk of rain 2 which is 3d which is mad oh no that makes me that makes me sad yeah it does make me sad too but let's find out when, when that happens a lot of people saying binding of isaac which is true that is a roguelike I think the first time I tried to describe Binding of Isaac on RPS, um, I described it as um, David Cronenberg's Zelda, which um, isn't, <laughs> didn't mention roguelikes at all. Maybe I, maybe I missed a trick there. Many but. people saying FTL, um, and s- someone saying also about Regnerus says also XCOM. So you know, and well, he also says Darkest Dungeon. So, you know, mm. that Darkest Dungeon is an odd one because, again, I think for me, the party thing takes it away from being a roguelike. And I'm not trying to say this makes that person wrong or that anyone's wrong. Um, but I think when you've got a party, then the roguelike stuff is kind of diminished because you're no longer permadeath. Is, you're not a character anymore. I, you know, it's, it's an odd thing. I don't know. Mm. I need to be one person in a roguelike so that when I die... I've died. Whereas in Darkest Dungeon, you are very much a character who isn't involved in the action. You're the person who's overseeing everything and sending people down into the dungeons. 
It's okay. like um, in, so would you say, obviously you probably haven't played it because it's not quite out yet, but it's been an early access and I've talked about it before, but Niche, um, it's a kind of genetics, uh, yeah. evolution, survival, turn-based kind of thing. Um, and that's about the survival of a species. And so you, you as the overseer of the action are trying to keep a tribe of animals alive and evolving them and breeding them and making sure that, you know, they don't die out from various things, hunger or old age or whatever else. And so there's an extinction element to that, which I would say is analogous to, to permadeath. But like, it sounds like you think that there's an extra step there for you, which is that there needs to be a single character or that you are inhabiting. I think so, yeah. I think if you're managing people or creatures or something like that, then it kind of removes the idea that you're this one person going through a world. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, What you've got in niche, it sounds like, Pip, is a roguelife sim. Roguelife. Um, but someone else on the genetic front also says Rogue Legacy. Zoe Soft says Rogue Legacy. It's a roguelike, but with overall progression, so your runs don't feel useless. Yeah. And that's about um, you inheriting, I think, I think, I think, traits from your last character. Yeah, and I didn't love this as much as a lot of people do. I know John really loved it. He reviewed it, and um, a lot of people agreed with him. I found it a little bit dull. Um, and I love the concept of it, but um, in execution, I was just like, I felt like I'd survive, and then you, you basically get the next generation of your heroes, and it all just felt a bit random. It's like, okay, this person is, um, I don't know, they, they have like negative traits and positive traits. It'd be like, this person's really tall, so you're bigger, which means you run into traps easier. Uh, it just all felt a bit meaningless and a bit random to me, uh, which I know me saying that that's what I like about roguelikes, but uh, the actual uh, legacy stuff just didn't really work for me. I wanted it to, conceptually. I want to love that game. But While we're on confessions, I will say that FTL has never done it for me. Ooh. Like, I just, I don't really enjoy it. And it's one of those things that I've also tried to sort of play as a group thinking perhaps that would be more fun because occasionally people crack it out at parties you know when everyone's just I know (laughs) but like when people are lounging on the sofa and it's kind of that more sort of lull part of the evening no no having a catastrophic group playthrough and I just like at that point I'm like oh my god that's horrible (laughs) no that's a terrible idea yeah, but like, no, I... I, it hasn't worked really for me either solo or I, I just I don't have the attachment although that said I am interested in their their next game that yeah. looks cool um, Into the Breach so, someone the else breach. on Facebook has said uh, G.S. Lewis has said FTL is one of the best and the most underrated I feel which I think I mean oh, no. it's, it's not underrated it's not at underrated all. No. It's incredibly See, I well like known. FTL but I think it's overrated <laughs> <laughs> Um, but 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 yes, I do agree that it is one of the best. I'm not I'm not in Pip's. FTL no, I, I think it's family. great, but but I don't love it as much as most people. Again, that I know do. Um, again, if someone gets it out of party, I'm going to be like, get buying them Isaac on that. I mean, no, come on, don't get it. Don't, it's a party. Get your video games off. You had an entire video games party. Yes, Brendan. which which you I gave out a trophy. But that was for 
all the people in video games and there was Nidhogg, to be fair. All right. Do not, do not and invite Beast, video game okay. people to parties. That's the rule. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, like, yes. All right. We um, played the Yorg as well, which was nice. Yeah, the Yorg is a nice game, but that's meant to be played with lots of people. Yeah. Um, anyway, we should wrap this up because we've gone over time. Were there any others that you just thought deserved a bit of a mention? Um, just this? there's a lot you can kind of expect. NetHack, um, Dead Cells. Adventure Mode Indoor Fortress. Um, what else have people said? Hoplite. Said... A few mentions of Hoplite, which oh, is an great, but is that on PC? Game. Yeah, I think that's mobile. The, the, isn't it? the prototype of it's on PC, not the fi- final version, but you can play it on a PC. Um, don't, though, play it on your phone. Hoplite. Yeah, it's perfect for a phone. Someone has said Dungeons of Dreadmore. Yeah, which is the one that I mentioned earlier on, which is a uh, Gaslamp Games. It's a uh, very, um, it's a very traditional roguelike, made pretty and accessible. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. And City of Brass and Ironcast, someone has said. So City of Brass, John just wrote about that. She's going to early access. Uh, mm. It looks a little bit like Eldritch, which I don't know if anyone mentioned, but I do mm. love Eldritch, which is a kind of sneaky horror roguelike. Uh, Unexplored, someone mentioned. I want to give a shout out to that because I really love Unexplored. It's a real-time dungeon crawler. And normally real-time puts me off roguelites because it can be a little bit too um, frantic for me. I'm very slow. So um, he- Here's a good one. Um, at a gorilla on fire says... <laughs> um, I was hoping that was the name of a roguelike. Mentions a lot of um, a lot of roguelikes like Nuclear Throne, Teleglitch, Crypt of the Necro, Dancer. But then points out that Minesweeper is more, like, is more roguelike than most roguelikes today. And tellingly, this person puts a space between rogue and like. <laughs> um, one, it is turn-based. Two, it is permadeath. Three, it is tile-based. Four, it is random generation. <laughs> Which, I mean, it is hard to fault that logic. Well, let's like let's add to it. Does it have one layer? Yes, it does. It does. And so, are you managing or are you actually in there? I don't know if in Minesweeper I am a person in the room or if I'm controlling a drone or something. I don't know. You know, you are the Minesweeper. You are the, you are the mine, mine, You're actually in there. Yeah. Sweeping the mines. Then um, that's so thank you, Gorilla on Fire. That's that's a good, um, very that is good the- yeah, the... I appreciate their mentions of Teleglitch and Crypt of the Necro Dancer as well, because I'd sort of, the Teleglitch had kind of just fallen out of my brain entirely, and I do love Crypt, so. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, that, that's that's it. Sorry we couldn't call out to everyone, but there was a lot of you. And yeah, a, ver- thank you. a very quick uh, shout out, shout out to anyone who's going to EGX uh, this weekend. Me and Brendy will be there so if you're listening to this and you're going to be egx then come and say hello to us yes is there anything that you're excited about seeing um nope brendy i'm excited about seeing brendy <laughs> <Each other. laughs> yeah. there is well, the last time we saw each other me and um, adam were sleeping in the same bed in a hotel room in cologne so um, that's a lie that is not true at brighton oh yeah you know what um, Although, how do you know we weren't also at, Cologne, since back Brighton, we have gone back to Cologne and shared a bed again, Pip. You decided to recreate the experience. Um, but uh, yeah, we're having an RPS indie mixer at some point, so look out for that and uh, come along if you want to see me and Adam. And I'll be on stage at one thirty on Friday. 
uh, yeah. talking oh, nice. about Football Manager um, with one of the developers of Football Manager. Uh, one of the things we'll be covering for the people who've already switched off when I said football, one of the things we'll be talking about is whether Football Manager requires a thorough in-depth knowledge of football. I don't think it does. Uh, he might think it does, in which case well, that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> Can I ask, is this something that is actually scheduled or are you just storming the stage and demanding some time for Football Manager? Moving on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we will we will be there. And that's that. Um, and we look forward to seeing everyone. The, the thing I genuinely look forward to most of these things is seeing people. That's what it's all about because I already play games all the time, but I very rarely see people. <laughs> so if people check out the weather spoons of an evening. Yeah. I'll tell you who we're not <laughs> going to be seeing much of anymore, and it is Philippa War. Not not allowed in EGX anymore. Only allowed to PC game of weekenders and things like that now. <laughs> I'm going to hold up my hand, you know, in that manner of shielding my eyes wherever in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, oh no, I need to, yeah, I, I have an elsewhere to be. <laughs> Pip, do you want to sing us out for the last time? Um, oh Give God. us we'll meet again. <laughs> This is the part where we find out why I don't do karaoke or whatever. <laughs> we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when. That's quite right. good. That was quite good. <laughs> I was doing a lot of hand gestures, I think it helped. But I really, really was going to stop before um, before it all went wrong. <laughs> no, you did just enough. If- it felt like I was on the verge of the chaotic, you know, like tumble down the stairs, you know. <laughs> oh God! Right, shall we? Uh, shall we do the wrap up bits yes, for please. the final time before it's your problem, Brendan? Oh no. <laughs> So, if you would like to send us, and by us I mean them, future podcast <laughs> questions and so forth, it's podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. For our website, it's again rockpapershotgun.com. You can find us on Twitter and YouTube and the like at rockpapershot because reasons. Um, and individually, uh, Brendan, who are you on Twitter? I am at Brendy underscore C. And Adam? I am non-economical. You don't need to spell that, do you? No, I, I sometimes do, but I, not today. <laughs> and I am at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Do you want to review us on iTunes? That would be good. <laughs> yeah, or likes and, and yeah. retweets and such is also good. I can't vouch for the future, but the past was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Philip O'Rourke's last leaving leaving sentiments. <laughs> right. <laughs> Goodbye everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye, Pip.
Pip's going. She's not going to say the things of the podcast anymore. <laughs>